welcome to Practice Builder's Patient Connect podcast. This is where we explore the many ways that healthcare practices can attract, connect with, convert, and retain more patients through online media. Practice Builders is a medical marketing company that has been helping healthcare practitioners reach more patients and gain improved profitability since 1979. To date, we have enhanced the growth and profitability of more than 16,000 healthcare practices in virtually every medical specialty and subspecialty. Welcome to the seventh episode of Patient Connect by Practice Builders. I cannot believe it's been seven already. (laughs) I'm your host, Heather Patterson, Senior Account Manager here at Practice Builders, and today we'll be discussing the truth about patient satisfaction surveys. Perhaps the most important truth about patient satisfaction surveys, say that five times, is that they can help you identify ways of improving your practice and gain even greater patient satisfaction. That translates into better care and happier patients, and it shows your staff in the community that you're interested in quality care. This demonstrates that you are looking for ways to improve. If that's not enough of a reason to begin surveying your patients, consider that your marketplace is demanding that data on patient satisfaction be used to empower consumers. If physicians don't try to make patient satisfaction data as good as possible, and get scores as high as possible, they're going to be hurt in the marketplace. They'll be seen as non-competitive. And that's the biggest reason of all to survey patient satisfaction at your practice. My guest today is Ian Chatterjee. Ian is Vice President of Marketing for iCare Leaders. Welcome to the Patient Connect podcast, Ian. It's good to have you with us. Um, thank you, Heather. Uh, thanks for having me. It's been It's great to be here. So let's start with the basics. What should practices have in place at minimum before starting a patient satisfaction initiative? Well, Heather, before you conduct your patient satisfaction survey, um, I like to make sure everyone in the practice is ready. Uh, Begin by cultivating an environment uh, that embraces quality improvement, uh, because quality at the end is the core of your practice vision, values, and goals. That's very good to know. Okay, so let's move on to cost. How do you determine how much money a practice can afford to invest in a survey project, and how expensive is it likely to be? Uh, That's a great question. Uh, If your survey will be conducted by an outside vendor, um, count on investing about around $300 to $400 per physician. Uh, Of course, you can conduct an in-house survey for less, but that will require more time from you and your staff. Uh, Like the time spent designing the survey, selecting a survey sample, preparing the survey for mailing, tabulating the responses, and analyzing the resulting data. Don't forget to factor in uh, that the main costs of a mailed survey, paper, printing, and postage can actually mount up to a good packet. Uh, Keep your staff and colleagues well informed about your survey process and let them know how you will interpret and act on the results. Uh, Your results will provide a snapshot of how your patients view you right now. Then use that feedback to organize practice improvement projects around those comments or scores. Gotcha. Yes, I have seen many of our practices use the feedback to improve patient satisfaction too. Patient satisfaction improvement projects typically focus on areas of weakness, but don't forget to recognize and celebrate your practice's strengths and successes too. 
When you conduct a patient satisfaction survey, there's a good chance you'll also get positive reinforcement about the things your practice is doing well. My next question has to do with finding the right survey tool. What are mm -hmm. the most common survey types available for healthcare practices? Practices solicit feedback from patients in a variety of ways. These include phone surveys, written surveys, focus groups, and personal interviews. Most practices prefer to use written surveys, which tend to be the most cost-effective and reliable. Phone surveys yield similarly reliable results. The one advantage of uh, phone surveys is that they allow you to probe for more specific information. The downside, however, is that getting people on the phone is more difficult these days. Uh, written survey, though, gives you an option of creating a questionnaire from scratch or using one that's already been developed by an outside vendor. Most experts recommend the latter because the survey is more likely to have been tested and validated. Uh, sure, doing it yourself is possible, but it can be time-consuming and taxing on your internal staff. Mm -hmm. Plus, any mistakes you make can be costly in terms of staff resources and expense. Resist any impulse to look for a sample survey online and just copy it. Your patient satisfaction survey must be customized completely to your unique practice if you want reliable data. Uh, at the end, whether you choose to do it yourself or turn it to outside experts, just keep it simple. Very good. So what advice would you give to the hardcore do-it-yourselfers? <laughs> uh, well, focus your questions on the top three or four issues. Uh, practices typically have three or four general goals when they interact with patients. Uh, to provide quality health care, quality mm -hmm. issues. To make care accessible, access issues. Um, to treat patients with courtesy and respect interpersonal issues like having a caring, compassionate physician or staff uh, to improve processes such as billing or appointment setting. Your survey question should actually cover all of these three issues. You should avoid the trap of believing that access issues are less important than quality issues. Uh, you may ask yourself, what waiting times have to do with competent medical care? But that's not how uh, your patients think. Research has shown that patients place access issues like waiting time at the top of their list of what makes them feel satisfied or dissatisfied. Access issues matter to your customer and you cannot ignore that or you're going to lose patients. Do remember to ask the critical questions. Overall, how satisfied are you with your physician and uh, would you refer others to your physician? Uh, this in our a marketing jargon is called the NPS, the Net Promoter Score. Uh, that score is important for two reasons. First, if you need to report on your overall performance or another provider asks for feedback on how your patients view you, you will have a single representative indicator. Second, that score is important for identifying the key drivers of satisfaction in your practice. For example, if your patients rate your front desk as excellent but give you a fair rating overall, it may suggest that the courtesy of the receptionist has some impact on overall satisfaction, but it can't overcome any negative physician or nurse relationship with the patient. And your survey questions should be brief, unambiguous, and easy to understand. 
avoid asking biased, vague, or confusing questions. An example of a good question uh, might be, how would you rate the help, helpfulness of our receptionist, for example? And the majority of questions on a patient satisfaction survey are answered using some kind of scale. And mm -hmm. examples of scales include the 10-point scale, where 10 is the highest rating, the Likert five-point scale, where five points means excellent and one point means poor. So there are also four-point scales and other variations, but which of these mm -hmm. scoring scale options would you recommend and why? Well, the most generally accepted scale that I have seen is the five-point scale that ranges from excellent to very good to average to fair and then poor ratings. Uh, that's the simple one that most uh, practices seem to use. Um, another important survey element, though, is uh, asking open-ended questions. Uh, generally, you want to include two open-ended questions. One would be, what do you like best about a practice? And the other would be, what can we do to improve? Excellent. And what other elements should a practice include in their satisfaction surveys? Right. This, this is a good point. Uh, it's important to collect uh, demographic data mm -hmm. at the end of a survey. Uh, this will help you identify how certain groups of patients responded to a particular question. You might want to include a question uh, about the patient's health plan so you can track whether satisfaction scores vary from plan to plan. But then these are optional. Uh, it's also important that you strive for patient anonymity. Patients are more likely to answer questions honestly if they believe their identities are being protected. Make every effort to keep your entire survey process anonymous. Let patients complete their surveys in private and return them without being identified. The really savvy practices I know uh, assign a unique patient identification number to each survey, which enables them to easily track which surveys have been returned. That's really interesting. I've heard some criticisms about surveys being unreliable. How can a practice ensure statistical accuracy in their surveys? That's very important, Heather. It's mm -hmm. true that some surveys do not meet standards uh, for statistical reliability. To make sure that yours do, stick to these guidelines. Uh, when you distribute a questionnaire, survey the largest uh, group possible. That's a sample. If you can't survey every patient, then focus on a random sampling of your patients. A typical small one or two physician practice needs to get back at least 200 responses for any statistical reliability. Um, assuming about a 30% response rate, that practice has to distribute about 600 surveys. Uh, and another guideline is to get back at least 50 responses per physician in a larger practice. Um, it's best to mail surveys instead of handing them out in your office. Mail surveys do cost more uh, than those handed, uh, handled in the office, but they are unlikely to be mishandled by members of your staff, which can happen with in-office surveys. Mail surveys typically have between 30 and 35% response rates when you include a uh, post-stage paid reply envelope and a cover letter from the physician explaining the importance of the physician feedback to the practice. Uh, Follow-up uh, five to seven days later with a thank you or reminder email. These tactics can boost your response rate as high as 36 or 38%. You can also email your surveys 
and follow with email reminders to save on postage and mailing costs. Yeah. That's funny you say that. I want to point out that one of my clients has a 42% response rate. <laughs> right. That's, that's absolutely great, Heather. But there's one more <laughs> metric that's even more powerful is the sheer number of responses you receive. The more responses, the more valid and reliable your data is likely to be. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you need a minimum of 200 responses for reliable aggregated result reporting. If you have fewer responses than that, the margin of error becomes unacceptable. Mm -hmm. So let's pretend that I'm a physician and I've received 200 or more responses to my patient satisfaction survey. What do I do next? How do I analyze my responses? That may be the most complex part of the survey process. Uh, if you don't have someone on staff with strong analytic and database management skills, you're likely to end up with a stack of surveys that never get analyzed properly. If you're analyzing your own results, particularly the minimum number of responses suggested above, uh, you know, avoid lumping responses together into broader categories and only calculate a score that takes all of the individual responses and categories into account. In other words, don't combine scores for excellent and very good into one category called satisfied. Always calculate a, calculate a weighted score based on five points for each person who said excellent, four points for very good, three points each for good, and so on. Then total the weighted responses for each question and average them to get the most reliable score. If your practice doesn't have the time or resources to analyze your survey data, consider outsourcing to a firm that specializes in healthcare data analytics, uh, creating and managing patient satisfaction surveys. That's always a great idea. Mm -hmm. And what do I do with the results? Instead of trying to address uh, every suggestion your patients give you, and there will be several, focus on taking action on those key items that are causing their greatest dissatisfaction. If patients frequently cite long waiting times causing their unhappiness, then create a time analysis spreadsheet. Uh, this tracks patient visits by the minute from the time they arrive at the office to when they enter the exam room and when they're greeted by the doctor and so on. This information shows the physicians and staff how they're spending the time and identifies possible sources of delays. Your survey data may include a pat on the back for your staff and your colleagues. You'll be glad to know that many patients have a positive image and positive feelings about your practice. I know a few practices that, in fact, build their results into a compensation structure. The higher the staff scores on the satisfaction surveys, the higher their bonuses are, and people really do pay attention to tangible financial rewards. <laughs> and by the way, Heather, nothing that I'm telling you is news to other industries who've been paying attention to customer satisfaction for years. Healthcare is the only business category that has said, let's just leave the customer out of it because we are physicians and we know better. And that kind of prehistoric thinking, and that's, that's just me perhaps, flies in the face of reality in 2022. Yeah. To ignore the input from the patient, to ignore your customer, to discount their feelings, and to say that desires are irrelevant is today's best recipe for business disaster. And the truth about patient satisfaction surveys is that they are valuable and necessary and here to stay. Yes. 
Very interesting, Ian. Thank you so very much for an incredibly informative, helpful session today. It was very interesting. It has been my pleasure, and thank you for having me, Heather. Thank you. That concludes our Patient Connect episode on the Truth About Patient Satisfaction surveys. Today we explored why you need to send out patient satisfaction surveys in your practice, how costly are surveys, and how expensive are they likely to be, what are the most common survey types available for healthcare practices, what the best advice for hardcore survey analysis do-it-yourselfers, how your practice can ensure statistical accuracies in your surveys, and how best to analyze your survey data and results. In our next podcast, we'll explore putting teeth in your dental practice marketing. Until then, I'm Heather Patterson for Practice Builders, wishing you great success and all the new patients you could ever want in your practice.